Hi, this is Pastor Matt, and I want to welcome you to our Blue Oaks Church podcast. At the end of this episode, feel free to download our Blue Oaks Church app, where you'll be able to access resources, events, and ways to get connected at Blue Oaks and in the community. The app is the easiest way to share this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around Blue Oaks. Most importantly, though, I just hope that you enjoy this episode and it inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. So Matt called me a few weeks ago and asked if I would be available to teach today and referred to the passage we'll be in. Without hesitation, I immediately said, of course, I'd love to. His follow-up question was, do you want to read it first? No, I'm good. We went on talking for a few minutes, and at the end of the call, he says, hey, thanks for tackling the passage on sex. To which I responded, wait, what? <laughs> when we got off the phone, I turned to Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 30, and read, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, you may be reacting to hearing these words. This is the day I invited someone to come sit with me. And you're talking about sex? You're already shifting uncomfortably in your seat. Or you might be thinking, ugh, the biblical ethic of sex is so antiquated. The Bible is nothing but a bunch of no's when it concerns sex. And yes, there are no's. But the no's are there because of the power of sex on the soul. The Bible is also full of encouragement and the positives of sex. God was the creator of intimacy experienced by a husband and a wife. I also recognize this is a difficult and painful topic for some. Hearing the words of Jesus might bring up deep hurt or pain or regret in you. Your marriage or family has been impacted or ended by an affair. And, and the pain you're feeling is the exact reason Jesus said these words. Or you're sitting there today and you're having an affair or considering one. I want to tell you right up front, Jesus is offering you a way out. And I want to encourage you as strongly as I can, take it. So, let's look at what Jesus said. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Have you ever had someone say to you, you hear me, but you're not listening to me? Guys, has your wife ever been talking to you while you're working in the garage or, or watching the game? And in the middle of whatever she's saying, you suddenly hear, you're not listening to me. Sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> What's your response? I hear you, I'm not deaf. Not the best response, but her point is that while you may be hearing the sound of her voice, you're not listening to her words. You're not engaged and present in the moment with her. 
You see, hearing, hearing is like collecting data. You're taking in information and, and you're storing it away. Listening is seeking to understand, giving your attention and focus on what's being said. Listening is putting down the tool in your hand or, or not just muting the game, but turning off the TV, closing your laptop, flipping over your phone. Listening is being an active participant in a conversation. Well, Jesus is continuing in, in this pattern of, you've heard, but I'm telling you. And he reminds the crowd of a Jewish religious law that they knew. It was no surprise. But he's countering the belief that a God-honoring sexual ethic is simply a matter of external, confor external conformity, regardless of internal attitudes. You shall not commit adultery was the seventh of the Ten Commandments God gave the Israelites, written on tablets of stone. The tablets detailed God's covenant with his people. Adultery was a capital offense, and those caught were stoned to death. Now, beyond God's command, this is just plain and simple great advice. Why? <laughs> Because adultery does nothing but blow up your marriage, your family, and your life. According to the American Association of uh, Marriage and Family Therapy, national surveys indicate that 15% of married women and 25% of married men have had an affair. This increase is about 20% higher when emotional affairs are included. 55% of marriages ended immediately after one partner admitted to cheating, with 30% deciding to stay together, but eventually breaking up. The internet, it only makes it easier than ever, opening doors to more opportunities and exposure. In July 2015, hackers got into the registry of a website. Ashley Madison, billed as a meeting place to enable extramarital affairs. The hackers stole the data of 32 million members and eventually posted a list of names online for the world to see. It resulted in separations, divorces, lost careers, even suicides. You would think lesson learned, right? By 2020, Ashley Madison's user base had grown to 70 million people. Listen to the wisdom of Proverbs. Remember this, the lips of a seductress seem sweet like honey, and her smooth words are like music in your ears. But I promise you this, in the end, all you'll be left with is a bitter conscience. For the sting of your sin will pierce your soul like a sword. She will ruin your life, drag you down to death, and lead you straight to hell. Listen, the Bible is not outdated or archaic when it comes to sex. Jesus is trying to give you something, not take something from you. Look at the carnage that surrounds us from the, the misuse of sex, the broken lives, broken marriages, broken families, broken communities, abuse, and trauma. 
But life in the kingdom of God, a Christ-centered life, is life as God designed it for you. The fullness of life, a life more abundant and fulfilling, and that includes your sexual ethic. Here was the issue. The religious leaders of Jesus' day had taken this covenant principle and made it solely about the outward act. They heard what God said, but they weren't listening. So Jesus says, protect your marriage and protect your mind just as much. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He's going even further and says, it's not just about what you do, but also what you think of doing. Listen to these two verses in the message paraphrase. It says, you know the next commandment pretty well too. Don't go to bed with another's spouse, but don't think you've preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those oogling looks you think nobody notices, they're also corrupt. The letter of the law and the spirit of the law. The letter of the law is do not commit, but the spirit is don't let your heart go there through a lustful look. So we ask ourselves, is it possible to look at another person's beauty and not lust? Yes, of course. My wife and I were recently talking with a woman we met, and Jamie says to me, she has beautiful eyes, don't you think? Now listen, guys, if you get a question like that, and your first thought is, this is a trap, and I better get the answer right, no, her eyes could never compare to yours, baby. <laughs> there are some issues in your relationship. There is nothing wrong or inherently sinful about noticing another person's beauty. A lustful look is more than being aware of beauty. It's what you do with the look. In his book, The Good and Beautiful Life, James Bryan Smith writes, Epithemia, the Greek word for lust, is not referring to the first look, but to the second. The first look may be simple attraction, but the second is leering. Epithemia intentionally cultivates sexual desire for the sake of the feeling itself. He says love looks into the eyes. Epithemia steals glances below them. Love values the other person. Epithemia degrades the other. You see, lust is unconcerned about willing the good of its object. It doesn't care about the other person. It only cares to satisfy its desire. The human nature is, is drawn to what it doesn't possess, that internal voice that says, that's what I need, want, or should have. Now, we know the difference between an innocent look and a lustful look. A lustful look lets your eyes linger to nurture and cultivate and inflame sexual desire. The word emphasizes the intensity of the desire rather than the object 
desired. Jesus says, you're committing adultery in your heart. It doesn't matter if that's in person or virtual, walking down the street or leering at a screen. It's a sin. It's damaging. It's deadly. Why? Because you're taking an identity and making it a commodity. That person who is subject to your lustful look carries the very image of God, the imago Dei, their very identity. And beyond ethnicity or race, country of origin or language, gender, or, or any self-proclaimed identifier, every person carries the inherent identity of God within them as his creation. And lust takes that identity and makes it a commodity used to feed a, a sinful impulse. You're taking an identity from creation and making it a commodity for consumption. Lust is an insatiable desire. I read the story this week of a shipwrecked crew who were you know, drifting aimlessly on the ocean without water. Under the scorching sun, they, they grew dehydrated and, and deliriously thirsty. One night, while others were asleep, one of the men gulped down salty ocean water, which contains almost seven times more salt than our kidneys can safely handle. The man quickly died. You see, the more salt water someone drinks, the thirstier they get. So they continue to drink. Their thirst never satisfied until they die. Studies using MRI scanners have found that patterns of brain activity in people experiencing lust are very similar to those in addicts receiving a cocaine fix. Now, here's a little crash course on how a few parts of the brain work. Deep inside the brain, there's something called a reward center. You've got one. So does your dog. The reward center's job is to release a pleasure chemical called dopamine into your brain in response to behaviors that are perceived as positive, like eating a great taco, watching a beautiful sunset, or enjoying a kiss. The more you experience it, the more the brain longs for it and rewards you when experiencing it. Now, serotonin, which regulates your mood, it becomes temporarily suppressed, leading to obsession and compulsion. And it doesn't take long for your neural pathways to, to be rewired and, and new paths to get carved. The behavior becomes almost automatic. Every day, you and I face the same as we confront someone or something alluring, attractive, and desirable that tempts us. And here's something we have to understand. Your thoughts are either the soil of your spiritual growth or your spiritual death. If you remember back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, Jesus said, those living the good life are the pure in heart, for they will see God. The word used here for heart doesn't refer to an actual physical heart. 
It's used figuratively to, to refer to the center of human life, the origin or the source of our spiritual life. It refers to the inner person, the intellect, the affections, the will. You see, your heart reveals who you are in the secrecy of your thoughts and feelings and motives where nobody knows, but God does. And he's concerned with your inner life just as much as your outward actions. Jesus continued, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Why would Jesus even say this? He's using hyperbole, which is from a Greek word meaning excess. It's a figure of speech that uses extreme exaggeration to make a point or to show emphasis. It's like saying, I'm so hungry I could eat a horse or I have a million things to do today, or my parents are going to kill me when they find out. Well, that one could prove to be true in some circumstances. Hyperbole is a common biblical literary method of making a strong point. Now listen, Jesus is not advocating self-mutilation, but he is encouraging a life of self denial. All sin begins with the imagination. Something you see is, is the seed of a thought. That thought, if left unchecked, it metastasizes, it spreads, it will cause you to stumble. The Greek word is scandalizo, which we get the word scandalize. It's used in, in an active sense, which conveys the idea of enticing sin. It was originally the, the piece of wood that kept uh, open a trap for animals, and it refers to the, the, the trigger that springs a surprise. Lust is a trap waiting to spring, leading to spiritual death. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So, what can you do in the fight against lust apart from gouging out your eye or cutting off your hand? Well, let me offer three suggestions. First, make a covenant. Make a covenant with yourself, which is fitting because that's what marriage is. It's a covenant. We don't talk a lot about covenants today. A covenant is a chosen relationship in which two parties make binding promises. In love, a husband and a wife willingly enter into a covenant relationship, binding themselves to one another in lifelong faithfulness and devotion. 
Listen to the words of Job who said, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a young woman. The truth Job knows is that what he sees may instantly affect his heart. What our eyes see fuels our thoughts and, and what we think upon fuels our desires. Job drew his line in the sand of his sexual ethic, beginning with his eyes. He wants to be pure in heart, pure before God, so he chooses to do what he can. He can control his eyes. Man, we're the worst offenders, and we know it. But many women struggle with this too. In this sexually charged culture we live in, Everyone is being bombarded by sexual images. It's almost impossible to shelter your eyes from them. They, they jump out at us in advertising on the TV screen. They flood your social media feed. The group Casting Crowns has a song called Slow Fade, which, which is this very idea set to a melody. Listen to the lyrics. Be careful, little eyes, what you see. It's the second glance that ties your hands as darkness pulls the strings. Thoughts invade, choices are made. A price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. Make a covenant with yourself to do whatever is necessary to protect yourself, your marriage, your family, and your community. Make a covenant with your eyes. Second, create your guardrails for protection. Theologian John Stott said, to obey this command of Jesus will involve for many of us a certain maiming. We shall have to eliminate from our lives certain things which, though some may be innocent in themselves, either are or could easily become sources of temptation. The best guardrails address not just behaviors, but patterns that lead to behaviors. And to have healthy guardrails, you need to have a deep, honest awareness of your patterns. Patterns like procrastination, you know, time-wasted surfing online, lying, deception with others. All of these open the door to temptation and lead to behaviors. And for guardrails to be effective, they need to work when you feel like following them and when you don't. <laughs> The challenge for most is that we effectively keep our boundaries, you know, maybe 90, 95% of the time, which is great. But what trips us up is that 5% when we just don't have it in us. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you fought with your spouse. Maybe you're stressed at work. Maybe you're angry. Your needs are not being met. Whatever the scenario, you will find yourself in a mood where you don't care about your integrity or sexual ethic. And you need to have boundaries that cannot easily be moved or avoided. If you have patterns that seem unavoidable, where you keep going down that same path over and over again, create an immovable guardrail. Are you attracted to your coworker? 
stop meeting together for that afternoon coffee? Are you battling with the programs that you're watching? Drop cable or your streaming service. Is social media your downfall? Get off and delete your accounts. Do whatever is necessary to protect yourself. Third, find an ally in your fight. I went through a season of singleness where the absence of love and affection in my life left a huge void. My two top love languages are physical touch and words of affirmation or love. I found myself longing for them and in ways looking for them. I realized that, that I needed allies in my life that would fight alongside me, encourage me, keep me accountable, and support me. And there were times I had to humble myself and be honest about my struggle and lean on them in moments of my weakness. You see, allies are, are friends at the deepest level. They are people with whom you will share your struggles. Allies are people who will support you no matter what. They're proactive in your life, not just reactive. Allies are those rare friends who seek your good by challenging you to aspire to greater things and offering encouragement when you fail. Let me suggest two types of allies, in person and online. In person, this, this is someone you trust, a, a spiritual friendship or a mentor. Someone who, who knows you and knows your struggles. And someone you know is for you, on your side, wants the best for you. Have an ally you can preemptively pre, uh, ask support from. Hey, I'm going to be alone this weekend and, and I may get the urge to, to seek out pornography. Or, or instead of, I slept with my coworker, someone you can confess, man, I'm having thoughts about him or her that, that aren't just, they're not right. You're bringing to light the reality of sin in your heart that needs to be realigned with God's heart. And you're doing it in community with another as God designed. Side note, if someone asks you to be their ally, here's your job description. It's really pretty straightforward. It's not calling someone out on their sin and guilting them, but challenging them to be the person they are in Christ. You build up, not tear down. You seek their good. Now, online allies are, are support systems that step in when you can't be in person with someone. An example, I discovered an app this week called Fortify. After hearing from tens of thousands of individuals seeking healing and recovery from pornography and, and other forms of sexual compulsivity, the founders of Fortify decided to create an anonymous online tool to help connect with others from around the world who are on the same journey. They even have an SOS button that you can push and it tells all of your allies that you need help. The point is, don't fight alone. Find an ally in your fight. Two last thoughts. First, 
if you are currently involved in an affair, physical or emotional, stop today, end it. Do not let it go on one day longer. Find a pastor, a counselor, a, a spiritually trustworthy man if you're a man, a woman if you're a woman, and confess. Take a step toward the immeasurable grace of God who forgives and redeems. Second, if you live with the pain and trauma of a spouse having an affair, you're not alone and it's not hopeless. God can heal. He can restore. He can redeem. Keep your eyes on him. Let's pray. God, every one of us knows the struggle, the internal battle with temptation, with, with lust. And, and Lord, some even listening right now, they've experienced or are experiencing that battle that they have stepped into an affair with someone else. Lord, what I pray for myself and for all of us is that we would lean into your heart, lean into a life in your kingdom, a life of, of purity, a life of, of the sexual ethic as you have designed it for us. And that we would resist the temptation, that we would resist the, the, the desire of our eyes to kind of look and gaze, Father that we would honor the identity of every person created in your image and honor who you have created us to be, Lord. People created to worship you, to follow you, to live an abundant life with you. So guide us, free us, deliver us, we pray in your name, amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. We hope you found something in this week's message to take away and apply to your life this week. Uh, if you live in the Bay Area, we would love to have you join us for one of our weekend services. Uh, for directions or information about what we have for you or your family, your students, you can go to blueoaks.church or download the app today. Uh, and we hope to see you on Sunday soon.